0: CHAPTER 47 OF THE GOLDEN SILENCE This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson. CHAPTER 47 For the second time Stephen entered by the great gates of the Zoea. The lounging negro who had led him in before stared at the grey Mahari with the red-curtained basur whose imposing height dwarfed the Romese horse, and his eyes dwelt with interest on the two Arabs from the town of Oed Tolga. Perhaps he thought that they would satisfy his curiosity when the visitor had gone inside. But Stephen thought differently. The Arabs would tell nothing, because they knew nothing which could explain the mystery. The Negro had no French, and either did not understand or pretend not to understand the Rumi's request to see the merry This looked ominous, because Stephen had Been let in without difficulty the first time, and the negro seemed intelligent enough to be stupid in accordance with instructions. Great insistence, however, and the production of documents, ordinary letters but effective to impress the uneducated intelligence, persuaded the big gatekeeper to send for an interpreter. Stephen waited with outward patience, though a loud voice seemed crying in his ears. What will happen next? What will the end be, success or a sudden fluke that will mean failure? He barred his mind against misgivings, but he had hoped for some sign of life when he rode in sight of the white roofs, and there had been no sign. For many minutes he waited, and then came an old man who had showed him to the Marabout's reception room on his first visit. Stephen was glad to see this person because he could speak a little French and because he had a mild air as if he might easily be browbeaten. I must see Sidi Mohammed on important business. Stephen said. the old man was greatly grieved, but Sidi Mohammed was indisposed and not able to speak with any one. Would Monsieur care to visit the mosque again, and would he drink coffee? So this was the game. Stephen was not surprised, his face flushed and his jaws squared. He would not drink coffee and he would not give himself the pleasure of seeing the mosque, but would trouble the interpreter with a message to the Maryboat and would await an answer. Then Stephen wrote on one of his visiting cards in English, I have important news of your son, which you would regret not hearing and it can be told to no one but yourself in less than ten minutes the messenger came back the marabout though not well would receive monsieur stephen was led through the remembered labyrinth of covered passages dim and cool though outside the desert sand flamed under the afternoon sun and as he walked he was aware of softly padding footsteps behind him once he turned his head quickly and saw that he was followed by a group of three tall negroes they looked away when they met his eyes as if they were on his heels by accident but he guessed that he had been told to watch him and took the caution as a compliment yet he realized that he ran some risk in coming to this place on such an errand as his already the marabout looked upon him as an enemy no doubt and it was not impossible that news of the boy's disappearance had by this time reached the zaoua in spite of his guardian's selfish cowardice if so and if the father connected the kidnapping of his son with today's visitor he might let his desire for revenge overcome prudence to prove his power by murdering an englishman his guest would do the desert potentate more harm than good in the end yet men of mighty passions do not always stop to think of consequences and stephen was not blind to his own danger if the marabout lost his temper not a man in the zaoua but would be ready to obey a word or gesture and short work might be made of victoria ray's only champion however Stephen counted a good deal on Ben-Halim's caution, and on the fact that his presence in the Zaoua was known outside. He meant to acquaint his host with that fact as a preface to their conversation. The Marabout will come presently, the mild interpreter announced, when he had brought Stephen once more to the reception room adjoining the mosque. So saying, he bowed himself away and shut the door, but Stephen opened it almost instantly to look out. It was as he expected. The tall negroes stood lazily on guard. They scarcely showed surprise at being caught, yet their fixed stare was somewhat strained. I wonder if there's to be a signal, thought Stephen. It was very still in the reception room of Sidi Mohammed the young man sat down opposite the door of that inner room from which the marabout had come to greet him the other day but he did not turn his back fully upon the door behind which were the watchers minutes passed on nothing happened and there was no sound stephen grew impatient he knew from what he had heard of the great zaoua that manifold and strenuous lives were being lived all around him in this enormous hive which was university hospice mosque and walled village in one yet there was no hum of men talking of women chatting over their work or children laughing at play the silence was so profound that it was emphasized to his ears by the droning of a fly in one of the high iron-barred windows and in spite of himself he started when it was suddenly and ferociously broken by a melancholy roar like the thunderous yawn of a bored lion but still the marabout did not appear evidently he intended to show the persistent Romy that he was not to be intimidated or browbeaten, or else he did not really mean to come at all the thought that perhaps while he waited he had been quietly made a prisoner brought stephen to his feet he was on the point of trying the inner door when it opened and the masked marabout stood looking at him with keen eyes which the black veil seemed to darken and make sinister without speaking the arab closed but did not latch the door behind him and standing still he spoke in a deep voice that was slightly muffled by the thin band of woollen stuff over the lower part of his face thou hast sent me an urgent summons to hear tidings of my son he said in his correct measured french what canst thou know which i do not know already i began to think you were not very desirous to hear my news replied stephen as i have been compelled to wait so long that my friends in Tolga will be wondering what detains me in the Zoea, or whether any accident has befallen me as thou wert doubtless informed i am not well and was not prepared to receive guests I have made an exception in thy favour because of the message thou sent pray do not keep me in suspense if harm has come to my son Sidi Mohammed did not invite his guest to sit down no harm has come to the boy stephen reassured him he is in good hands in charge of his uncle whom i have appointed his guardian the marabout broke in he doesn't know anything yet stephen said to himself quickly then aloud at present he is not in charge of his uncle but is with a friend of mine he will be sent back safe and well to oed tolga when you have discovered the whereabouts of miss ray the young lady of whom you knew nothing the other day and when you have produced her i know now with absolute certainty that she is here in the zaoua when she leaves it with me and the escort i have brought to join her friends you will see your son again but not before and never unless miss ray is given up the marabout's dark hands clenched themselves and he took a step forward but stopped and stood still tall and rigid within arm's length of the englishman thou darest to come here and threaten me he said thou art a fool if thou and thy friends have stolen my child all will be punished not by me but by the power which is set above me to rule this land france we have no fear of such punishment or any other stephen answered we have dared to take the boy and i have dared as you say to come here and threaten but not idly we have not only your son but your secret in our possession And if Miss Ray is not allowed to go, or if anything happens to me, you will never see your boy again, because France herself will come between you and him. You will be sent to prison as a fraudulent pretender, and the boy will become a ward of the nation. He will no longer have a father. The dark eyes blazed above the mask, though still the Maribout did not move. Thou art a liar and a madman, he said i do not understand thy ravings for they have no meaning they will have a fatal meaning for cassim ben halim if they reach the ears of the french authorities who believe him dead said stephen quietly ben halim was only a disgraced officer not a criminal until he conspired against the government and stole a great position which belonged to another man since then prison doors are open for him if his plottings are found out unwittingly stephen chose words which were as daggers in the breast of the arab although made without knowledge of the secret work to which the marabout had vowed himself and all that was his the young man's threat sounded like a hint so terrible in its meaning that ben halim's heart turned suddenly to water he saw himself exposed defeated hand and foot in the enemy's power how this romy had wormed out the hidden truth he could not conceive but he realized on the instant that the situation was desperate and his brain seemed to him to become a delicate and intricate piece of mechanism moving with oiled wheels all the genius of a great soldier and a great diplomat were needed at one and the same time and if he could not call such inspiration to his aid he was lost he had been tempted for one volcanic second to stab stephen with the dagger which he always carried under his burnous and embroidered vest but a lightning flash of reason bade him to hold his hand there were other ways there must be other ways fortunately maeddine had not been told of the romese presence in the zoea and need not learn anything concerning him or his proposals until the time came when a friend could be of use and not a hindrance even in this moment when he saw before his eyes a fiery picture of ruin ben halim realized that maeddine's passion for victoria ray might be utilized by and by for the second time, not once did the dark eyes falter or turn from the enemies, and Stephen could not help admiring the Arab's splendid self-control. It was impossible to feel contempt for Ben Halim, even for Ben Halim trapped. Stephen had talked with an air of cool indifference, his hands in his pockets but in one pocket was a revolver, and he kept his fingers on it as the marabout stood facing him silently after the ultimatum. "'I have listened to the end,' the Arab said at last, "'because I wish to hear what strange folly thou hast got in thy brain. "'But now, when thou hast finished apparently, "'I cannot make head or tail of thy accusations.' of a man named cassim ben halim i may have heard but he is dead thou canst hardly believe in truth that he and i are one but even if thou dost believe it i care little for if thou wert unwise enough to go with such a story to my masters and friends the french they could bring a hundred proofs that thy tale was false and they would laugh thee to scorn i have no fear of anything thou canst do against me But if it's true that thou and thy friend have stolen my son, rather than harm should come to him who is my all on earth, I may be weak enough to treat with thee. I have brought proof that the boy is gone, returned stephen. For the moment he tacitly accepted the attitude which the marabout chose to take up. Let the fellow save his face by pretending to yield entirely for the boy's sake, he said to himself what can it matter so long as he does yield? In the pocket with the revolver was a letter which Sabine had induced Hassan ben Saad to write, and now Stephen produced it. The writing was in Arabic, of course, but Sabine, who knew the language well, had translated every word for him before he started from Oed Tolga stephen knew therefore that the boy's uncle without confessing how he had strayed from duty admitted that by an incredible misfortune the young mohammed had been enticed away from him he feared hassan ben Saads added to make a disturbance as an influential friend captain sabine advised him to inform the marabout of what had happened before taking public action which the child's father might disapprove the arab frowned as he read on not only because of his anger with the boy's guardian though that burned in his heart hot as a new kindled fire and could be extinguished only by revenge this captain sabine he said slowly i know slightly He called upon me at the time when he made a well in the neighborhood. Was it he who put into thine head these ridiculous notions concerning a dead man? I warn thee to answer truly if thou wouldst gain anything from me. My countrymen don't, as a rule, transact business by telling diplomatic lies," said Stephen, smiling, as he felt he could now afford to smile. Captain Sabine did not put the notion into my head. Hast thou spoken of it to him? Stephen shrugged his shoulders slightly. I do not see that I am called upon to answer that question. All I will say is, you need have no fear of Captain Sabine or any one else once Miss Ray is safely out of this place. The Marabout turned this answer over quickly in his mind he knew that if sabine or any frenchman suspected his identity and his plans for the future he was irretrievably lost no private consideration would induce a french officer to spare him if aware that he had hoped eventually to overthrow the rule of france in north africa this being the case and believing that knight had learned of the plot he reflected that sabine could not have been taken into the secret otherwise the Englishman dared not make promises. He saw, too, that it would have been impolitic for Knight to take Sabine into his confidence. A Frenchman in the secret would have ruined this coup d'etat, and, beginning to respect Stephen as an enemy, he decided that he was too clever to be in real partnership with the officer. Ben-Halim's growing conviction was that his wife— Sadie had told victoria all she knew and all she suspected and that the girl had somehow contrived to smuggle a letter out of the zaoua to her english lover the distrust and dislike he had long felt for Sadie suddenly burst into a flame of hatred he longed to crush under his foot the face he had once loved to grind out its beauty with a spurred heel and he hated the girl too though he could not punish her as he could punish Sadie, for he must have maeddine's help presently and maeddine would insist that she should be protected whatever might happen to others but he was beginning to see light ahead if he might take it for granted that his secret was suspected by no more than four persons Sadie, victoria and the two englishmen who were acting for the girl i see by this letter from my brother-in-law that it is even as thou sayest thou and thy friend together have committed the cruel wrong of which thou boastest ben halim said at last a father robbed of his one son is as a stag pinned to earth with a spear through his heart he is in the hands of the hunter his courage ebbing with his life-blood had this thing been done when thou wert here before I should have been powerless to pay the tribute, for the lady over whom thou claimest a right was not within my gates. Now, I admit, she has come. If she wished to go with thee, she is free to do so, but I will send with her men of my own to travel by her side, and refuse to surrender her until my child is given into their hands." That is easy to arrange, Stephen agreed. I will telegraph to my friend who is by this time, as you can see by your letter, two days' journey away or more. He will return with your son and an escort, but only at a certain distance. I will meet him at some place appointed, and we will hand the boy over to your men." "'It will be better that the exchange should be made here,' said the merry I can see why it might be so from your point of view but that view is not ours you have too much power here and frankly i don't trust you you admit that i'd be a fool if i did the meeting must be at some distance from your zoea the maryboat raised his eyebrows superciliously they said so thou art afraid but stephen was not to be taunted into an imprudence where victoria's safety was at stake those are our terms he repeated Very well, I accept, said the Arab. Thou mayest send a message to the lady, inviting her to leave my house with thee, and I assure thee that in any case I would have no wish to keep her, other than the desire of hospitality. Thou canst take her at once, if she will go, and passing through the city with her and my men, thou canst send thy telegram. Appoint as a meeting-place the borge of Tolja, one day's march from the town of Oed-Tolga. When my men have the child in their keeping, thou wilt be free to go in peace with the girl and thy friend. I should be glad if thou would send for her and let me talk with her here, Stephen suggested. No, that cannot be, the marabout answered decidedly. When she is out of my house, I wash my hands of her, but while she is under my roof it would be shameful that she should speak even in my presence with a strange man stephen was ready to concede a point if he could get his wish in another way give me paper then and i will write to the lady he said there will be an answer and it must be brought to me quickly for already i have stopped longer than i expected AND CAPTAIN SABINE, WHO KNOWS I HAVE COME TO CALL UPON YOU AND FETCH A FRIEND, MAY BE ANXIOUS. HE SPOKE HIS LAST WORDS WITH A CERTAIN EMPHASIS, KNOWING THAT BEN HALIM WOULD UNDERSTAND THE SCARCELY VEILED THREAT. THE marabout WENT INTO THE NEXT ROOM AND GOT SOME FRENCH WRITING PAPER. STEPHEN WROTE A HASTY NOTE, BEGGING VICTORIA TO LEAVE THE ZAWEA UNDER HIS CARE. "'He would take her,' he said, to Lady MacGregor, who had come to Tugort on purpose to be at hand if wanted. He wrote in English, but because he was sure that Ben-Halim knew the language, he said nothing to Victoria about her sister, only he mentioned, as if carelessly, that he had brought a good camel with a comfortable bassor large enough for two. When the letter was in an envelope addressed to Miss Ray, the mary took it from Stephen and handed it to somebody outside the door, no doubt one of the three watchers. They were mumbled instructions in Arabic, and ten minutes later an answer came back. Stephen could have shouted for joy at the sight of Victoria's handwriting. There were only a few lines, in pencil, but he knew that he would keep them always, with her first letter oh how glad i am that you are here she wrote by and by i hope to thank you but of course i can't come without my sister she is wretched and wants to leave the man who seems to her no longer a husband but she thinks he will not let her go tell him that it must be both of us or neither or if you feel it would be better give him this to read and ask him to send an answer Stephen guessed why the girl had written in French. She had fancied that the Marabout would not choose to admit his knowledge of English, and he admired the quickness of her wit in a sudden emergency. As he handed the letter to the Arab, Stephen would have given a great deal to see the face under the black mask. He could read nothing of the man's mind through the downcast eyelids with their long black fringe of close-set lashes and he knew that ben halim must have finished the short letter at least sixty seconds before he chose to look up from the paper it is best the marabout said slowly that the two sisters go together a man of islam has the right to repudiate a woman who gives him no children but i have been merciful now an opportunity has come to rid myself of a burden without turning adrift one who is helpless and friendless for my son's sake i have granted thy request for my own sake i grant the girl's request but both only on one condition that thou swearest in the name of thy god and upon the head of thy father never to breathe with thy lips or put with thy hand upon paper the malicious story about me, at which thou hast to-day hinted, that thou enforce upon the two sisters the same silence, which before going they must promise me to guard for ever. Though there is no foundation for the wicked fabrication, and no persons of intelligence who know me would believe it, even if I had no proof, still for a man who holds a place of spiritual eminence evil gossip is a disgrace i promise for myself for my friend and for both the ladies silence on that subject so long as we may live i swear before my god and on the head of my dead father that i will keep my word if you keep yours to me said stephen who knew only half the secret yet he was astonished at gaining his point so easily He had expected more trouble. Nevertheless he did not see how the Marabout could manage to play him false if he wanted to get his boy and hide the truth about himself. I am content, said the Arab, and thou shouldst be content, since thou hast driven a successful bargain, and it is as if the contract between us were signed in my heart's blood. Now I will leave thee, WHEN THE LADIES ARE READY, THOU SHALT BE CALLED BY ONE OF THE MEN WHO WILL BE OF THEIR ESCORT. IT IS NOT NECESSARY THAT THOU AND I MEET AGAIN, SINCE WE HAVE, I HOPE, FINISHED OUR BUSINESS TOGETHER, ONCE AND FOREVER. WHY IS IT THAT HE LETS ME GO, WITHOUT EVEN TRYING TO MAKE ME SWEAR NEVER TO TELL WHAT I KNOW? SADIE ASKED VICTORIA. WHILE ALL IN HASTE AND IN CONFUSION THEY PUT TOGETHER A FEW THINGS FOR THE LONG JOURNEY. Sadie packed the little volumes of her diary with trembling fingers and looked a frightened question at her sister. I'm thankful that he doesn't ask us, Victoria answered, for we couldn't promise not to tell unless he would vow never to do the dreadful things you say he plans, lead a great rising, and massacre the French. Even to escape, one couldn't make a promise which might cost thousands of lives we could perhaps evade a promise yet seem to do what he asks said Sadie, who had learned subtle ways in a school of subtlety i'm terrified that he doesn't ask why isn't he afraid to let us go without any assurances he knows that because you've been his wife we wouldn't betray him unless we were forced to in order to prevent massacres Victoria tried to reassure her sister, and perhaps for the sake of getting his boy back he's willing to renounce all his horrible plans. Perhaps, since he worships the child, Sadie half agreed. Yet, it doesn't seem like Cassim to be so easily cowed, and to give up the whole ambition of his life, with scarcely a struggle, even for his child." You said when you told me how you had written to Mr. Knight that Cassim could be forced to yield, if they took the boy, and so the end would justify the means. Yes, it was a great card to play, but but I expect him to make me take a solemn oath never to tell what I know. Don't let's think of it, said Victoria. Let's just be thankful we're going, and get ready as quickly as we can. Lest he should change his mind at the last moment, or lest Maeddine should find out, Sadie added, but if Cassim really means us to go, he won't let Maeddine find out. He will thank Allah and the Prophet for sending the fever that keeps Maeddine in his bedroom. Poor Maeddine, Victoria half whispered in her heart lurked kindness for the man who had so desperately loved her even though love had driven him to the verge of treachery i hope he'll forget all about me and be happy she said and then because she was happy herself and the future seemed bright she forgot maeddine and thought only of another End of chapter forty seven